According to Frankie bylaws, section 105, subparagraph 10, upon reaching adulthood, Ferengi males must purchase an apprenticeship from a suitable role model. I choose you. You want to be my apprentice? That's right. I want to be the first Ferengi in Starfleet. Now, who do I see about getting a uniform? Well, hello and welcome to Tarek Noir. My name is Joe and I'm here with my brother Matthew and we're here every week to recap Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 14, Heart of Stone. The episode was written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt-Wolf and it was directed by Alexander Singer. So Matthew, what songs do you sing when you're kayaking with Odo in the Holosuite? Are you a big Fuck fan the of the police sea by, uh, Fuck the by NWA? Yeah. <laughs> That's very, that's very bold and brave of you. I appreciate that. Um, how does he react? Uh, does he sing along? Does he, uh, you know, ask what, what this ghetto hood music is? He just uh, gets real huffy and quiet like he was in the runabout with Kira. He was very huffy, incredibly huffy. Um, I was talking to my therapist today and, <laughs> and I was describing uh, someone that you and I used to know. And she's like, he sounds huffy. I'm like, yeah, that, that's actually a very accurate description of him. Mm. Uh, someone I used to date. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he also is kind of a cop in different ways. Um, oh. Not in the actual ways. Listen, I mean, we've we've talked about my embarrassing dating history before. It's nothing new. Um, yeah, I, I love that we got a reference to O'Brien and his... Uh, favorite shoulder dislocating activity uh, kayaking he really loves it uh, he's very bad at it he loves putting his um, body in physical danger because that's the thrill that he wants to get out of life as opposed to being with his family you know you can be a little bit more reckless when you got one of those things that just like puts it all back together in 10 seconds and you know for a while, he was trying to see Beverly. You know, it was like, oh, it's got kind of like a, like a hot mom thing going. Work and crush. He, yeah. And then he started wanting to see Julian because he's got kind of like a hot little British thing going. Does you know? he have a? Does he have a doctor fetish? Just, I think, I think that this you've been misreading this whole Julian thing the whole time. <laughs> it's I'm not like... that he's interested in Bashir <laughs> because Bashir is a man. He's just interested in Bashir because Bashir is a doctor. Before Keiko came on the ship, he asked uh, Polanski out. He did. He got, shut, he got shut down immediately by Polanski, but yeah, he was he was shot his shot. I wonder. I wonder what he would do um, if he were surfing on Discovery. Because uh, you got Hot Doc Culver there, like he would just go absolutely freaking nuts. I think. Yeah. I, who wouldn't? Yeah. I well, mean, I found something out about the Hot Doctor. Oh God! What did you find? Is out? the hot doctor like five seven? I mean, probably. Yeah. I I mean, how tall do you I've think got, Amini is? How tall I'm are you? Five, I'm five nine. I listen. I'm here on. I'm not here. Like I'm a. I'm a short king. I mean, I don't know. That's five nine's oh, like. How Amini is tall? Jesus. Five nine's the American like average, average. for a man. Okay. Yeah. I I'm like I'm like very You have that like, stat memorized, don't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like and I'm not trying, you know, who am I trying to impress? I'm 
<laughs> been married for almost a decade now. Okay. I'm just chilling. But Wilson Cruz is 5'8". Like, Wilson Cruz is 5'8". It's listed. Listed. He's probably 5'5". Five, 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 five. Like, like, um, like Tom Cruise of- is Tom Cruise is listed as like five eight or something like that. It's like six we, foot five. <laughs> we all know. We all know that Tom Cruise is the size of a fourth grader. All uh, I'm saying that, like, like yes, is the hot doctor hot? Yes, the hot doctor's hot. And you know, I'm sorry to all you short kings out there, but I'm but as someone who used to be in the gym regularly, used to lift, be into that kind of thing, I always looked at like the tiny ripped people and been like, okay. You know, like, like I'm glad that I'm glad that you're ripped out, but you also weigh 137 pounds. Like, good job. I mean, you know, you know like they, you, you do with what you you do with what yeah, you do. But yeah. They stick a camera up on you as if you're six foot three and jacked up, and jacked up, and really, it's like you know, a little welterweight out there, just a little guy. It it happens. Uh, the internet says that Colomini is five <clears> eleven. <throat> I said five ten. That's probably we're probably yeah. right there. Yeah, and All, like, Alexander Siddig is 5'11", too, so, yeah. Oh, see, there you um, go. Gates McFadden is 5'7", which I honestly thought that she was taller. Like, maybe it's the hair? Like, she just stands tall. <laughs> she always, she stands, well, she's got, like, a dancer's posture. Like, she's very... Oh, God, that must she's be... She's got, serious. like, a... Her, sp- her spine... over ass. Her spine is probably spotless. Just a, just, just erect and perfect... <laughs> Until the day she dies, that spine is going to be solid. Oh, Meanwhile, I'm, so I'm so, going to have like a hunched so over jealous. back at 40. <laughs> I already so... do have a hunched over back. Fuck. <clears throat> whenever <throat> whenever <throat> I, I was at uh, Sizzler with mom last weekend. Uh, shout out Sizzler. <laughs> um, and there was like one of the waiters that was like, you know, senior citizen status. And oh, he had the yeah. hunched over back, like uh-huh. you know, members of our extended family have had. And I'm just like, anytime I see that, I'm reminded that our extended family members also have that. And I just am like seeing my future and I'm very <laughs> upset about it. I'm very, very upset about it. I can't turn my neck from side to side beyond like a 30 degree angle. When I went to the chiropractor, they did the x-rays. The chiropractor just said, my goodness, when he looked at it. <laughs> He's just like, I'm so sorry. He's like, oh God. It's like I need to make a phone call. <laughs> like, uh, chiropractors over there looking at my scans. Couldn't believe it. God. Thanks. Thanks, Dad, for our shitty genes. Um, what can you do? That it, also may have come from uh the time that <laughs> I needed to get a cheap motel room in Monterey because, you know, Monterey and, uh, and they didn't have anything on the bottom of their like shower tub, like any grip. No. And I slipped and it fell. This was like, this was like 2016. Like I was you know, only married for a couple of years, maybe like a year before. And like I slipped and I like fell and I hit my head. Like that's terrible. Like corner. that's one and of I like feel- my biggest fears. And I like I still feel like I still feel like I fucked up. I know I fucked up my shoulder. My shoulders were always fucked up, but yeah. I'm I'm positive because like shout out I've to our childhood doctor. And uh, like a chiropractor asked me if I'd been in like a bad accident, and I'm like, no. I think it was the time I slipped in that tub. My wife, my 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 
uh, just recently made wife comes in and I'm just like crumpled. <laughs> <laughs> crumpled like Odo like, was after yeah. era, I love you. Yeah, like my, yeah. oh. We're gonna get to that, my goodness. What a <laughs> that's that's how I looked at there. Just not- like, like one arm over, like cr- crunched out. <laughs> I need help. Is, is that scene with Karen Odo your favorite scene in the episode? Is that a preview of your choice? <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> listen. You know, I I understand. Like, whenever I see like our our listener stats, it's like okay, the age range of our listeners makes sense. You know, like given. Um, we are talking about a 90s podcast and, you know, you and I are uh, mid to late 30s. Uh, and so it definitely makes sense that we have some of that. But like anyone that's like of our You're core listener base, that's like mid 30s, late 30s into your 40s, like this past 10 minutes, like this was all for you. Like you understand all of what we're talking about. All of y'all that are listening in your 20s, just you wait. Just you wait and see. It is coming for you. Tarek Noir, sponsored by Bengay. <laughs> Bengay. Put your neck and back. <laughs> we need to we need to move in on the Jamie Lee Curtis territory uh with her with her yogurt. So that's going to be us at some point. Not that old. God damn. It's going to be us at some point. By the time we finish this podcast, there might be. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Uh, in the I, last, I, in the I last told, seven days, Betsy, in the last I, seven days, fifty-seven percent of our listeners, um, were thirty-five to forty-four on Spotify. So, yeah, Betsy, we're just that's, right, yeah. that's literally our age range. Literally, both of us fit in the thirty-five to forty-four age range. I uh, I told Betsy today that I'm gonna die before we finish, and I think I said this season. She's like this season, and I'm like. Listen, I don't know. I, I'm You're worse series. than mom. My we're, God. Only in, we're only in season three. Like, I, like I'm going to be We're dead. halfway through. Season three. Yeah, we're halfway through season three. It's very exciting. Right, let's get into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Matthew got all depressed uh, right there. And, you know. What it's can three you o'clock. Is it too early for a beer? No, go for it. I mean, it's six o'clock for me, so I'll join you. Not in the beer, obviously. Um, all right. Recap for the episode. Obviously, I don't drink beer. It's very unfortunate. Uh, my girlfriend. I'm drinking 24 packs of Bud Light right now in in support. So (laughs) (laughs) my uh my new girlfriend is a craft beer girly. Uh, and I don't care for beer at all. So very happy for her. Um, just just not for me. That's okay. Um. All right. So recap for Brooklyn. today's episode. Sorry, Did you it's say Brooklyn? Brooklyn? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, that checks out. All right. Uh, as Kira and Odo head back to DS9 from a mission at the Bajoran and Cardassian border, they run into a rogue Maquis ship and chase it to a moon wherein Kira is encased in a crystal that is spreading up her body. Odo and Kira try in vain to remove Kira from the crystal as it continues to spread. Odo tries to send out its distress signal, but realizes it will be too late for the signal to reach DS9. Too late for Kira, that is. Meanwhile, Kira is shot at, and Odo increases his efforts to save her. Just before Kira is fully encased in the crystal, Odo confesses his love for Kira, which Kira returns the feeling to Odo. 
This confession of Kira's leads Odo to realize that she is not who she says she is as she reveals herself to be the changeling we met in the season three opener. The changeling uh-huh. had uh-huh. uh the changeling had hoped if Odo saw Kira die that his link to the solids would be broken and he would return back to the great link. Plan foiled, womp womp. Uh, also see what I did there with the link in the link. Uh, meanwhile, back on the station, Nog approaches Cisco in the hopes to join Starfleet. First, he attempts to buy his way into Starfleet as his Ferengi tradition. Then Cisco gives him a seemingly difficult task that would that wouldn't mesh well with Nog's personality. However, he passes it with flying colors. Still, Cisco won't let Nog into the academy until Nog tells him why he really wants to join. Nog explains he doesn't have the lobes for profit. Neither does his father, and as such, he doesn't want to end up living the same sad, pathetic, shitty life that his father leads. Cisco agrees to help Nog get Nog into Starfleet Academy, and now Nog is well on his way to join the military and be stripped of all of his personality and everything that makes Nog who he is. I I have strong feelings about the military. Son, why do you want to join Starfleet? My dad's a hoe. My dad's a bitch. Um, okay, ups and downs. What works for you uh in this episode? Um I always have to you always say that and I have to pull my notes back. I, I love that you just are never ready. Like we we like we've been doing I wrote, this I, wrote the, I, I wrote it down. I understand I, uh, this is we're doing a new format than we did for the first couple of seasons, but we also have been doing this for like two months now. And Every time when I finish the recap, I lead in and say, Matthew, what works for you in this episode? And you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I can see that. That's true. That's a good point. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So what um, was uh, in today's episode, Matthew? Oh, wow. What a question. Um, no, I, like the Nog stuff, you know. Nog and Cisco worked. They had an, a nice little, uh, a little pairing. You know, we got to see, got to see Cisco doing like you know, dad or like good uncle stuff. You know, with uh, yeah. someone other than Jake. Right. Nog was good all tour. excited. Fatherly yeah. figure. Yeah. Yeah. What did you had down? Awanas. What was that a reference to? Oh, that's what I had down. All right, I was reading off the wrong one. Okay, so aren't you glad that I'm very, looking at the document? Beginning. Jesus. Well, I just moved away from the document to go back to the Zoom window because you would. Um, so, anyways, I besmirched your character. <laughs> no, I mean it wasn't a besmirching. You pointed something out that was true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not mad. I'm not mad about it. You know, it is uh-huh. what it is. Okay. Um, no, so I said of what is. Um, we had once again one of my favorite tropes in Star Trek, which is people just reciting regulations. Oh, by yeah. like by heading, subheading, point A, point B, and you had uh, Nog doing that, you know, and then you have, you know, Cisco like come coming back in over like finishing the the phrase, as if like, and it's always funny when um, Cisco or some Federation person does it. But like the Ferengi stuff, like y'all sat down in whatever like spare time you have. We never see you not at work. You know, you're just sitting there. Like, are they at the desk wasting time the way that I'm at the desk wasting time? And they're like, 
I've got these TPS reports to turn in, but they're like, what if I memorized another 50, uh, you know, little rules yeah. for them? So it's anyways, like, it, it just reminded me like, but it's very just, you know, such and such, um, you know, in Ferengi code 14 subsection eight, it states, and it just made me think of a one. It's like, you're just like yeah. memorizing Bible verses or whatever. You're like Psalm 108 uh, verse three. And you're like, yep, that's what it is. And you move on. And um, I had seen someone talking about this type of phenomenon about how in Star Trek and other places, like one of the one of the ways that they show how intelligent yeah. the character yeah. is is by yeah. like reciting stuff. And someone posited that that's because that's what actors do. Like actors, as their job is literally to like memorize things and then recite them, and so like they like to to do that to show that their character is smart and the transitively like that they're smart. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, I I think that there's a couple other things too because like I'm finally done rewatching West Wing, so I'm like for the most part done talking about it. But it is oh, also God. a very common thing where like different <laughs> characters on the West Wing would like recite the constitution or recite like some legal code or blah 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 and that's like i think that there's an aspect of it where it's like sure making the character the character and the actor look smart but it's also making the writer look smart of being like look at this little thing that i made this character do you know um and recite all this information and look at how this character knows the constitution backwards and forwards that kind of stuff um which i can definitely see aaron sorkin doing like Sure, he's a smart guy, but like, he can really be up his own ass, you know. Uh, oh, the fe- the Federalist Papers, <laughs> there was actually a scene. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, okay. Uh, there was a scene that is in the script for this episode, but it was taken out, and it is Cork confronting uh, Cisco when Cisco and Dax are having their you know meal on the promenade after. Uh, after Nog did his inventory thing, and Quark is like demanding that Cisco ignore Nog's request, right? And there's like a, a whole back and forth, and Cisco is like, "Well, this is not your decision. Like, this is Nog's decision, right?" But in regards to, um, you know, this is to quote from the script, and as for the Latina, must I remind you of the first rule of acquisition? And Rom says, "Once you have their money, you never give it back." Because Quark was demanding that Cisco return the money, right? Um, and he's like, I'm not going to stand here and argue rules of rac- acquisition with a human. That apprenticeship money is rightfully mine, and I will protest your actions to the Negus himself if I have to. Uh, and then Cisco replies, give the Negus my best, which is like a great little pushback on Quark. Uh, Do you think that, that Rama's going to end up going to to the Fed for like, 18 months the way that William H. Macy's wife did for buying uh, Nog's entrance into the Academy. Well, I was, I was kind of wondering. Did they say, do they, like, say, do had... they, they say, oh, uh, we're getting Nog into the Academy. He's a great rower. Like he's, he's, he's very good at crew. Not the city Huffman erasure. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I was wondering about that because like, you know, like in, in Ferengi, norms and traditions what nog was doing is perfectly correct like that is the correct way that you're supposed to go about things but like if 
and we can make this assumption if the Starfleet and Federation regulations are basically based off of America's like constitution and you know Bill of Rights, blah 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 blah, all that shit. Um, that's definitely like a blah, quid blah, pro quo situation. Like that's definitely like a bribe, you know. And I wonder if like Cisco would have to report it or whatever. Um, I mean, he didn't take the money, but still. Um, also, technically, you know hypothetically though there are circumstances where this gets a little murky hypothetically there's no money in the in the federation anyway so it's not like oh congrats yay i have latinum what am i supposed what the fuck am i supposed to do with that you know um dirty shit in your uncle's college suites that's what you're supposed to do with it pretty much yeah um but anyway dances at the dabo wheel <laughs> uh what works for me in this episode uh was the brief moment when Odo resigns and DS9 was out from under his fascist thumb. Like that was pretty great. Uh unfortunately it was a momentary situation, a momentary resignation. Uh but that yes. was nice. That was like yes. it gave it gave us hope that you know the that this that the station would be for the better by having him no longer in charge. Starlet Starfleet has no fascist tendencies outside of thank Austin goodness thank goodness thing. it's a good yeah. thing that they didn't turn uh the entire federation into a police state in just like 10 episodes from now <laughs> i mean give them time i guess uh it, it is it, yeah like i wonder how odo as a character and in like his position on the station would be treated if the series was airing right now, you know, because like current Star Trek shows are constantly like showing that Starfleet and the Federation is like corrupt and or is being infiltrated by corrupt actors. And also there's just like this general air of mistrust in a lot of the different shows. And I wonder like, you know, how how ds9 would have been treated these days more specifically by like the current iteration of creatives behind the shows because i don't think that you know like iris Stephen bear and robert hewitt wolf would do it much differently than they did here but i don't know just a thought it would have been it would have been worse it would have been worse (laughs) very (laughs) yeah yeah Um, very very much would have been worse (laughs) speaking of these guys these guys are at least trying you know no, they are. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and and we love them for that. Um, speaking of worse, uh, speaking, for yourself, speaking for yourself. I okay. I I'm just saying. You know, I, I don't. Uh, you don't know them. Why are you loving them? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah you know, fine. you know me. Okay. I'm not. I, you know me. I don't like to give any any extra love. You don't <laughs> give love freely or yeah. wide distribute it widely. <laughs> I give compassion uh, widely. I seek justice for all. Um, I want the best for everyone. But uh, you know, I'm just not you know. Don't put my name next to someone's name unless uh, unless I really okay. know. Fair That's enough. All. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't care for like how the the reveal of Odo being in love with Kira worked out. Um, for a couple. Oh, of, like, so lame. Both how it happens, but also like I do appreciate the he said it but he didn't actually say it like that's a common thing, especially in like will they won't they romances. It's like. Did did you say something? No, no, I didn't say something. After someone confesses their love, like that's a common thing. But and just in terms of like the way that it was handled, like you know, I I understand that I was reading the companion and they were referring to like Odo crumpling to the ground as like 
the confession is painful. Like it's not necessarily like so much heartfelt as it is like just a pain like that he's been carrying around or whatever. And because of like what the the gravity of it, what it means, because he knew that she didn't um uh reflect his love back to him, you know? Um, but even still, I don't know, it was just I didn't care for it, but also I think that the whole ending of that storyline was just weird because like it felt like a very flimsy plan on the changelings part, you know, of like, haha, I'm gonna think that his lover is dead and then he'll come back. Like, I don't know. I uh I feel like you could have been I a think it did. I, I don't know if that was the changelings full plan. I think that, you know, they're just trying to like get to understand Odo a little bit, put him through these, you know, things, see if we change Press test. Just a little, yeah, you know, you just got to put a little pressure on it, see what happens. They get bored over there in their pool sometimes, you know? I guess. Um, I mean, like, I don't know how you get bored when you're just constantly fucking all day long. Well, here's the thing. For, or is it just that their body gets a little bit tired and a little bit raw? A little chafing, they get, you know, we have to go back out for baby powder. Um, no, it's funny because Odo ends up fucking that changeling with oh. like Kira begging, like, please help me, please help us. And he's like, sorry, but I've I gotta do this. Um I, I just I have a I have a mighty need. <laughs> that you you really like honestly, can't. I'm you doing more for up. you than you're doing for me. <laughs> and if we're like if we're just being real, that's just a fact. You know? Yeah. Uh um, like it's just it's it's an absolute fact that that Odo's giving more pleasure than receiving. Um in, he has in the capacity. He has the capacity to, but you know, definitely not right out the gate. But he has the capacity to. Yeah, I mean, again, any shape, anything could be happening. Anyways, we don't need to get. Like, I'm just saying, like you know, that. most most actors don't. <clears throat> most actors don't win an Oscar in their first in their first film. You know, most athletes don't win MVP in their first season or whatever. Uh, can I tell you? Can I tell you what athlete would win an MVP in their first season? Oh no, one who could change into whatever they wanted in like it's like doing like, like fucking space through, jam shit yeah, and just stretching yes. the arm all the way. Yeah, you could do. Court. You could yeah. do literally what like you could get. You could like get the ball, turn yourself into a fucking bullet, and just like fly through the sky into whatever. Like you could do whatever you want. And what I'm saying is, um, we're not talking about just like any old any old dude trying to figure out how to make this thing work. We're talking about someone who can create any type of form. I'm any type of, I know, uh, like, I know, I know. And, and it's, you know, I'm just saying a mold of what, like you could be whatever he has you the want. capacity. I just don't yes. know. And, on and the first all I'm, time out. I, and I'm not talking about the first time out. I don't, okay. I don't, okay. I'm okay. just saying, I'm just saying that like in that type of relationship, here are, can only be a vessel like there's nothing like like here can't, like this dude needs to turn into liquid right like she can't turn into liquid that's how he re- he receives you know the pleasure from being intertwined with like another being like they're they're yeah. liquids yeah are in so. the same cup that's what i'm saying like that's not that's just not something that a human a solid can do it's not i'm not saying that kira is bad at this I'm just saying that, like, yeah. I wonder solid. what, like, what, what, what is possible 
for him to enjoy things. I don't because know. here's the thing. Why is this, this information this not in a DS9 companion? <laughs> uh, I'm sure that you I'm sure you freaks have written, you know, little fanfic somewhere. It's it's but, definitely in, in fanfic. But um you know this this came I like that like you say you freaks line. as if we're not the ones that are talking about this on a podcast. <laughs> I yeah, but I'm not I like I'm just talking I'm I'm here for some jokes. You're I'm hypothesizing. Not, like, You're not actually I'm not like that. actually into uh into this like I like I'm not aroused, you know what I mean? Okay. I'm just talking. Um <laughs> but I don't so like him falling to his knees or whatever. I understand like I agree that him saying he's in love would be painful but i don't think that it's because that he knows that she's not in love with him as much as he's his whole life has been about like the separation from the solids and i don't understand what you solids are thinking doing whatever right like you you and your love like he talks he's talked about love several times over the three seasons and how nonsensical it is how illogical it is how it doesn't conduce itself to order in the way that he would like. And here he is feeling that same thing, which means that he has to be feeling like um, in some way he's betraying his own values or perhaps even his own essence. Possibly. Yeah. And so like, so, so at that point, like that to me makes more sense than just, Oh, she doesn't like me either. Like, on some, you know, like, you know, eighth grade shit, which well, is what, probably where the writers are because they write at like an eighth grade level on this show, which is fine. Yeah. Go okay. Ahead. Well, let me, let me, let me quote Renee Aubergenois, who is the actor, um, who in quotation did, marks in quotation, who did do the rolling around. He said, it sprang from my sense that Odo knows, sorry. Ahem, let me readjust how I'm speaking. It sprang from my sense that Odo knows the incredible investment and pain involved in admitting this. It's fear of rejection and his fear that by admitting it, any hope that it could ever come to fruition will evaporate. So there's a tremendous sense of loss and fear, and it physically manifested itself the way you saw it. Yes, that's some actually bullshit. The way that like people talk Dramaturgically. about the Yeah. That's some actor bullshit. Do you know why he thinks that the, that it's not going to work out between him and Kira? Because she's like minutes away from being dead. It's not that it's not the rejection that oh I've said this out loud now it may never come to be like is it some Jane Austen novel? He's like like she's about to be like literally dead in minutes. Like <laughs> yeah, but I think that what he hasn't about? accepted it at that point, so him, it's him, not necessarily like a. Uh, I feel like he had, but I mean I don't know. Him falling to his knees is also something that's funny to me because he doesn't have muscles. Okay. Well, yes. We. I mean, we. We. <laughs> we do, we have, know, do we know why we have we have just, talked about this when she was just in the crystalline? I got several questions here. Um, when she's in the crystal, like the little crystalline entity boot. Um, yeah. You know that she's wearing. Um, just get turn into liquid. Get down in there between like Kira's like leg. And the crystal and just expand yourself. Well, I mean, I'm sure that wasn't able thing. to happen. He was trying to be he was trying was to change thing. He was trying okay, but at that so, point, maybe, maybe 
maybe, and I'm going to get to that, a uh, great Inspector Odo that, you know, the change, I'm convinced the changeling was just making fun of him the whole time. Yeah. But, um, but, like, he was sitting there trying to break this thing up with his bare hands and a rock. He could turn into whatever he wants, and he's just sitting there like, oh, I can't, I can't break this up. Like Matthew, little, you like, do you understand that the plot wouldn't hold up if he used his abilities? Okay, well, how about his ability to, uh, like, this great Inspector Odo not recognize that he's talking to another changeling? Well, okay, so, like... They're touching. They're touching. And he's not like, oh, that's weird. He's not a my, fucking my telepath or anything. My, my body's turning into, like, water into that other body. Like, like he's... I mean, he's okay, so there was a line... It doesn't know what's going on there was a line that the uh that the female changeling said to odo when odo was like how did you get a maquis ship and she's like now odo you can't really expect me to give you all the answers and in my notes i wrote down aka the writers didn't have an answer yet either (laughs) so like she's just keep with withholding information from him so all these different questions you're coming up with the female changeling would just be like, well, I'm not going to give you the answer, but like I made myself solid so he can penetrate me or blah, 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 blah. Just, you know, writer bullshit. I like, I mean, like, okay. So for me, like the two, like there were two different storylines in this episode, right? <clears throat> there was the uh, storyline of Nog. I mean, really just Nog and who he interacts with. And then there's the whole Odo and Kira thing. One of those stories is more successful than the other. I like that's quite clear from all the nitpicking that we're doing already. Um, and in the companion, the companion references that the writers had intended for Kira and Odo's story to be the A story, to be the biggest story. You know, it's got this confession of love, there's all this dramatic shit, the potential for Kira to die, blah, 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 the return of a changeling. That was a surprise character. Huh? The potential for her to die. Yeah, we're gonna okay. lose uh the major cast member in uh, I mean, yes. episode 13. Whenever Star whenever Trek. they do kill off cast members early on in the season, I'm always like, Oh, look at you. Um, shout out to every single but <laughs> every single uh Star Trek character has been like a second away from be from yeah. dying like 18 times. It's, every it's what we love about that show. Least. Yeah. Um but you know, Jake's almost died several times. Come on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that man is wily, that's he's a very wily individual. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the Nog storyline ended up being much more well received by the fans at the time when it first aired. And like when I was watching it, I'm like, you know, I'm like not a big fan of people going into the military, but even still, I'm like rooting for Nog the entire time, you know. Yeah. Obviously, I've you know, we're all, we're all on that times, uh, but... be all you can be or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, I mean, he he definitely had the more compelling storyline. Um, so let me did the companion say anything about like this being a network note, you know, like because it, it frequently happens that whether it's the net starting at the network or in the writer's room where they're like. We got a spice to show up. There needs to be some type of like romantic thing going on. Like, will they? Won't they? Like, they do that in in all kinds of shows. Like every sh- you know, everybody's that was... 2000s fave. Like, where they just like listen. 
nobody's hooking up like on the show. Like the most hooking up we have is like Kira with Burial. Like we got to find something. No, it 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 wasn't. It wasn't actually like the original intention. It, it so per the companion, um, and also, and I'll reference West Wing again. Uh, for anyone that's watched that show, there was like early on in the first season, the characters Josh and Donna have great chemistry. They're also boss and employee, which is, you know, an issue <laughs> that was resolved later on in the show. But, um, you know, they have like a like clearly they're making flirty eyes at each other, like they're like longing looks and all that. And all sure. it was was just the actors doing extremely long glances at each other, you know, to like to plant that seed. It was just the actor's decision. And then the writers were like, oh, I see what you did there. You know, when we were watching the dailies, whatever, let's keep working on that. And that was a similar thing where, um, you know, Renee and Nana did like have little like longing glances or like lingering touches or stuff like that and that was just planting the seed and that's something that um i can't remember like i mean i guess i don't know i don't think it was season one but definitely in season how's that alexander sitting feel about all this <laughs> i mean you know what can you do um <laughs> wait you're, you're doing love looks with him it's that acting, acting. <laughs> but you know that's just a result from the actors you know like doing acting you know, which is cool, which that, I mean, that's great. I love when that happens. And so I don't think it was necessarily that the network was like, Hey, we got to spice it up because like, we'll see what the network's notes were in season four. Right. Where they're like, right. what if we brought in a legacy cast member? And that's the same thing that happened on Voyager too. Well, not a legacy cast member, but we got to bring in a, a cast member to spice things up. Right. Um, right. And so the network note was most likely bringing in Worf, not necessarily playing up this relationship so i mean especially considering how long it took for kira and odo to actually maturate into a relationship you know so, all right okay all right anyways um what didn't work for uh for you in this episode i know that you had some thoughts about kira yeah thanks for the uh setup there helping you're me. welcome buddy Help, helping me remember. anytime just, anytime <laughs> um no, just, we, uh, we were going to work our way back to it eventually. <laughs> Kira, um, Kira and Odo got into this whole mess because Kira's just as much of a cop ass as Odo is. Where there's like a single Maquis, they don't even they don't know who it is or what they've done. They're just like, we got to get this stranger and put them in prison. Yeah, like y'all couldn't just keep flying home bunch of hating ass cops but look where it got you <laughs> yeah it's it was pointless very 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 pointless. it was like like hey uh this we lost this person in this badlands on this moon that looks dangerous um it's important to me that we don't let this one person just live their life <laughs> honestly <laughs> not knowing yeah. not knowing if they've ever done anything that like is even objectionable just it's probably it looks like a maquis I mean, you gotta get their ass. Like we we've talked about the Maquis before, and we'll have plenty of opportunities to analyze them and dissect them in the future. But also analyze and dissect the Federation's and the and the Starfleet's response to the Maquis. Um, you know, 
we've got a whole Les Miserables uh, uh, episode coming up at some point. So uh, we have that to look forward to. Let's talk about um, our favorite scenes uh, and then work our way into uh, the topic of the day. So um, uh, I'll start off and then we'll narrow down with you and then we'll go into go into the topic. Um, every scene with Nog and Cisco worked really, really well for me. Um, it was just super super charming in different ways you know like the initial scene with cisco and nog where cisco is just like confused but also amused by nog coming to him and like doing the handshaking thing and all that like he just is like the fuck is happening here but also sure let's 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 see where this goes you know um and then of course the final scene where nog you know, bears his heart and is like, this is why I want to join Starfleet, or at least like why being a Ferengi isn't really an option for me. Um, I didn't entirely like Cisco grabbing him by the shoulders and yelling at his face. Like that was like, okay, a little drill sergeant-y, like that's a little unnecessary, but um, you know, uh Aaron Eisenberg did his thing, uh, especially in the last scene. Like, you know, I was very emotionally invested, like I was drawn in i was like yeah go off like very proud of you nog for doing your thing and saying your piece and you know good job to the actor doing his thing too so uh so those those scenes worked really really well for me yeah no those uh those things were really good like you said at the top like we got um we got the uh what was uh what was denzel's character's name in training day oh i forgot coach coach whatever um, that's his new ass movie. I just know um, King Kong ain't got shit on him. Yeah, that was a better. That was from a better movie. Yeah. Um. Uh. Coach Boone, Coach Boone, because someone called him Coach Coon. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was that was his, like as much uh that they could say in the movie. So it was a Disney one. So like it's real bad. They were saying Coach Coon. <laughs> oh, remember the Titans, not Training Day. Yeah. So you training said training day. day. I'm like, what are you, oh, my bad. What are you talking I meant about? To say, I meant to say, uh, no, 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 Titans. yeah, I got it. My bad. Um, I, I yeah, so we that got, was a Disney movie. We got um, Cisco as Coach Boone, like out there, like yeah. alternating between, like, all right, let me get you charged up to, uh, let me scream at you and just yell and get you all, get you all worked up and shake you, shake you up a little bit. Reveal it, like. Hey, so I'm gonna say everything I'm about to say. My dad's such a, <laughs> such a fucking little bitch. It also, <laughs> it also felt like that must have been something that like an acting coach has done of like reveal your truth, reveal your trauma, just shaking them and like in my in my writing program, uh, the poets and the fiction writers like will talk about like the different workshop experiences, and there's yeah. one workshop professor on the poetry side that she's just constantly like telling the students like mine your trauma and like every week i'm hearing like at least several poetry students that like cry during workshop because it's just like really really digging deep and it's like oh my god i would die if i had to do that like i'm very glad that on my side of things on the fiction side of things like people aren't crying <laughs> but that definitely seems like uh intense professor, like an art professor or an acting teacher being like, get into your trauma. First off, that's what's ruining all of uh, culture right now. It's like every trauma, every 
Yeah, every movie or television show has to, is always just about trauma. Really annoying. And uh, it's also funny. Um, I was thinking about this a lot anyway, but, you know, right now. I'm Did you see the supercut of Jamie Lee oh. Curtis talk, saying trauma, 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 trauma? No, I, I didn't. Um, okay, anyway. Um, I, yeah, like, I'm, I'm happy for Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't know. Like, I, I don't like we do this all the time where we just like pretend like some figure that pops up has like, just always been like beloved, you know, like, Oh, J- like and Jamie Lee Curtis is riding a wave since the, um, like everything everywhere. And yeah. it's like, Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, like they gave her an Oscar for it. Just like for having been being around for a long time and like giving all this, like, Oh, what a treasure. And I'm like, y'all weren't really like looking, like looking out for Jamie Lee Curtis like this, like, no, no, <laughs> Like I mean that's like, all. name three things since True Lies, you know. Always Happy Friday, everything ever all at once. That's okay. all. I mean Halloween, the Halloween. I, mean, before, I never watched before those. that. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I was thinking about um, like you know, right now when this rewatch of the Americans, um, you're seeing some of those for the first time. Congratulations! I'm excited Thanks. for you. But I'm just thinking about how like um so much great arts come from Russia, and and just like they don't have to like go. So which side like, are you rooting for when you're watching the well, Americans? All right, hold on. Like, well, anyway, well, um, I don't have to. I don't have to say well. anything about that on, on uh, Al Gore's internet. Um, <laughs> no, the uh, like uh, you know the Americans are out here like you know trying to like mine like oh. My my parents didn't spend as much time like saying they love me out loud as I would have liked, and therefore I'm stunted and blah blah blah. Meanwhile, you've got Russians who are like, um, "Yeah, this entire town is dead, and we've been subsiding on like boot soup for three years, and like mm-hmm. everyone everyone we love is gone." You know what I mean? Like like the uh, the Russians were like really put, putting out some fucking art in like the 19th and 20th centuries. Yeah, yeah there was no like, there was no like uh um like you know like I always my, my genesis back to this was always uh growing up and listening to like emo and pop punk kids and looking at them and being like what are y'all crying about I was like you said listening to emo and I was like when did uh, no, you obviously to I then, then you followed up with <laughs> kids and I was like yes. hey, that makes more sense. listening you. to them just like out there crying I'm like y'all are in the suburbs right now living a great life like there's my, my parents said I'm like okay sure like I, yeah like yeah I got a divorce like it's sad like I'm not I don't want to like tell people like that their pain's bad I'm just like it was just really funny like these people are just like out here like putting on eyeliner and crying because because their parents made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year my algorithm <laughs> has recently been feeding me a bunch of like m- elder millennial emo content and oh. so I keep on like I've been listening to a few songs recently that I listened to in my childhood. Great times. Uh, I've not listened to <laughs> Bullet for forever. Anyways. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that we keyed in on when we were looking at the Nog storyline in this episode is, uh, you know, really examining the, the culture of uh, profit and how, you know, especially in Frankie culture, your value is explicitly tied to your ability to make profit. 
Um, and in a, in a society that's ruled by profit, where everyone is a cog in the system, all individual creativity or personal interests are cast aside as not being beneficial to the system. Uh, so I know, Matthew, you had some thoughts about, you know, what is lost, um, both on the individual level and also on a collective level, um, when the pursuit of profit is uh, placed above all and also just... I mean, within a capitalist system in general. Yeah, within a capitalist system where, um, you know, the, with the type of production demands and profit priorities and the lack, especially here in the United States, the lack of any type of um, social, understood social good or social safety net, you, you're required. Like the system forces you to step in and fall into place, you know, and, and just get your, get the job. So you can have, you can have housing, you can have clothes, you can have food, like just that basic stuff. And, you know, increasingly, you know, under like the, this late capital neoliberal phase, like we're, it's consuming to the point where it doesn't stop just when you clock out, you know, um, depending on the type of job that you have, if you're working in the office, like, you're probably not a nine to five worker the way that you would have been 15 years ago. I know that, you know, just even in my own life, you know, getting into that type of work 15, 20 years ago. And now it's a completely different thing, you know? Um, but even the way that uh, you used to be able to work um, in the Fordist um, type economy, like you could work a, a job and it would pay you a wage sufficient or that to either be like a single, you know, a single wage earning ha household or, you know, two wage, wage earning households. But now like those jobs don't exist in the same way and you need to maybe have two or three jobs. Um, and what that does is that, you know, to use a term in the system, like there's an opportunity cost there where um, it's not just about like, oh, this person has to work a dehumanizing, alienating job, but it's stifling the the creativity that can come out of that person. Like what is, what could that person have created? Like how many, how many great works of art have we lost because um, that musician or that painter or that filmmaker or writer or whatever was working um, a bullshit job somewhere and they couldn't, they couldn't pursue that art. And so at that point it becomes not only that person is, unable to follow to follow their own dreams or passions they can't have pursuits in that way they have to you know do something that's alienating so it's not just a personal loss but it's also a collective loss because the art that they create that would have brought fulfillment to them is something that can't be enjoyed um by the broader community anymore you know and you see that here with roms who you know it's just Rom's Rom's Nog's dad, so you know Nog maybe you know inflating how good Rom is as an engineer. Are you, you know, are you suggesting threw, that Rom is not an engineering genius? I mean, genius. What does that mean? It's such a big word. He I mean, did, wow. I mean, he did. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see his genius in season six. Yeah, I mean, we'll it's there. good. It yeah, they're gonna rewrite that character to be a genius now that it's been floated. He was, um, he was tinkering in this episode. We saw him tinkering. Yes, he was tinkering. He was, tinkering. A, he was taking a long time to fix a replicator, and then soon he's going to be like the greatest engineer in Starfleet, but whatever. 
that's how engineers work in this in the in the series uh-huh. but but it's not just that rom is stuck doing something that he's not especially good at he doesn't have passion for and that's demeaning and dehumanizing to him you know like he has to sit there and just eat shit from his brother all day and not and like be cheated out of money and you know, be harried all the time and concerned and nervous and all this. Um, it's not just that, but like, if this dude actually is this type of engineering ge- genius, then the entire station ends up at a loss, you know, because it, he he could be helping everybody out. Um, and eventually he does. So you see like that turn around. But that's the thing is that there's the opportunity cost to not just like, what capitalism does to you, but what it prevents from happening in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think about definitely like the opportunity cost, I guess that it is a very common thing where most people that go to the, the writing program that I'm in don't stop writing afterwards. Like it's literally just like, well, that was good. And we're done here. Um, and that's both, because the experience is excruciating but also you know the prospect of you know most writers these days unless you're stephen king or some trash woman and on the you know across the pond um most writers have to have a full like a janitor huh what were we saying i said uh trash woman across the like a janitor Sure, we'll call her a janitor. That's fine. Like, uh, turds do belong in the trash, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the like, AP said you're not supposed to use the word turf anymore. So, fuck them. I don't give a fuck. The, the AP <laughs> style guide. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. I don't give. It's a, it's a broad. Uh, it's a, it's such a broad term, you know. I don't give up. Don't use it fuck, unless you fuck, have to. Uh, <laughs> use the term. Um, but most people, like most writers, have to have a full-time job. And it is a weird thing to be like having to work a soul-crushing job and try to be producing art. And usually like, or at least oftentimes, one has to give way to the other. And usually it's the writing that has to fall by the wayside because you have to be a cog in the machine and you have to produce the only product that is seen as worthy in the society which is you know producing capital is profit generated yeah. yeah to be a profit generator for someone else that makes you know wait you know just obscene amounts of money more than you'll ever see in your lifetime like yeah so it is um it, it is definitely interesting what is revealed in this episode and especially in the dynamic of um of rom and quirk because you know like nog was saying that rom doesn't have the lobes for business and doesn't have the lobes for profit that's okay there's still other things that he could do but quirk is just like not on my watch (laughs) absolutely the fuck not um except for of course the times where he does want to exploit what rom is capable of but still suppress it as much as possible yeah so it's funny um there was a trope in movies for a long while like among the bourgeois of the like the child who wants to pursue to pursue the arts 
and the like father who's like no you need to you know become a banker or, right. lawyer or something you know whatever like i want to be a painter <laughs> but um you know like i always joke about in uh, dead poet society like um neil's dad had a point because he's not actually good at the acting well, like, but um Neil. no but like but you know, it's usually framed that way, where it's where it's a bourgeois pursuit to be um, in the arts, and that's the case when arts is treated in in the way that it is. You know, where arts either a commodity or it, you know, it, like art itself is about profit generation. Like, you know, we could we've complained so much about current trek and you know everything and there's never been a time where hollywood wasn't like a profit producing um, industry but it's been like everything like heightened to a degree where um every like every decision is being made primarily by um profit like like it's not being made by artists or people close to artists the decisions are being made by analysts you know people who have you know degrees in finance right um who are guiding everything and yeah it's just interesting like quark quark is like there's only the only thing that you should do is the only thing that you can do is this one thing yeah and that's that's the thing like in a country like the united states which prides itself on like this idea of freedom like the system of capitalism isn't isn't free. Like you are consigned to profit generation one way or the other. Like there are there are no pursuits that have any inherent good in them outside of that. Like I think that culture and art are are things that have been in every society, like known society over the course of time, like in all of history. Like these are things that every society is deemed to be good like it's something that every society has done like they some form of sport as well i'm sorry um but like there there are like these types of pursuits that have been deemed as just like as goods in and of themselves in of themselves that we really don't get to experience in that way even when we have those things those things are separated in their forms because like they're, they're optimized towards towards profit rather than being optimized towards like their own good. Does that make sense? I don't know if that. Yeah, I think I'm tracking. You know, like instead of creating, um, yeah, and so so all of the ex- there's going to be the exploitation in those pursuits that that are just like normal parts of humanity and parts of any type of society. Yeah. Well, fun stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. And, um, you know, we get to really break the, we get to break the wheel and say no to all of that and instead join the army. Well, that's, that's the good message. Uh, I guess. Uh, I mean, Nog, Nog looked at Nog looked at all of this. It was like, 
Um, look mean, at my I, dad. I mean, look at my dad being mistreated and exploited. What if I become a soldier? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very much like <laughs> yeah, like in it. I mean, so there's always a a challenge where so often creators and shows and books, whatever, are imagining this idealistic future, but are still linking it to real world experiences because we can't imagine anything else. Like there's some examples in like Pixar movies where um in Coco where uh you know when uh when deceased people cross into you know uh fuck the land of the dead land of the land of the dead I guess there's like a whole immigration and customs experience so it's like you can't actually get into heaven unless you've got your paperwork and there's a really bizarre thing where in this movie that's like focused on Mexican characters to have like to have literal ice agents mm-hmm. um gatekeeping if people are allowed to get into heaven or not um there's of course cars where in the movie or in one of the movies cars or planes or whatever when the cars are at the airport there's airport scanners like there's uh metal detectors which of course is (laughs) implying that 9-11 happened in in the cars world that like (laughs) self-aware planes just flew themselves into buildings um (laughs) And then a third example, a more recent example, people were pointing out with the trailers for uh, for the movie Elemental, which, you know, I've been a big Pixar fan, but I just do not care about this movie whatsoever, where there's fences. And it's this world where it's just elements that exist. And so, like, fences exist, even though the two main characters are water and fire that can just pass through it. And so it's a weird, bizarre thing to have fences like in this world that's just based on the elements. Like, you know, it's just these different kind of um, different examples of worlds that are supposed to be new and imaginative and something that is different and unique from our own. But we're constantly replicating real world experiences. And so for, you know, in this case, in DS9, even though star trek is established as you know picard is like you know we don't um work for the sake of accumulating money we you know we work to better ourselves and we exist to better ourselves and everything else that he says in first contact but we don't actually see real world examples of that yeah i understand that star trek shows are all based around starfleet which is a military organization but we like the main example that I can think of of someone that is actually just doing what he wants to do is Cisco's dad. And he just owns a restaurant. Like that is the only example that I can think of of a character in the Star Trek universe that we see on screen that is just like, yeah, I have the option to do whatever the fuck I want. So I'm going to do not the military. But every other character that we yeah. see in Star Trek is like, oh, I can do whatever I want military let's go that would no that's that's a great point and i think like at the end of the day um people really want to watch like space fights and i really want to yeah, watch space fights you know what i mean like yeah like the the defiant rolling around and shooting i mean that if little, we're like, watching a military gun. show do military shit like have space <laughs> battles you know obviously you know you know like i think that like that's 
that is kind of the practical concern you know if you're on one of these shows like if we're trying to stay on for seven seasons we kind of got to get some space fights i mean yeah. you see you see that where like deep space nine feels like hey this is kind of like a nice you know little show right now and they're gonna like they're gonna it feels like they get a little desperate move from this season on where it's like let's bring in uh let's bring in a, like a tng character uh let's just do let's just do a war you know like it just really felt like they were struggling to make it work with what they had like the show started off hey we're gonna have this black captain we're going to sort of interrogate the um some of these deeper themes and um maybe like look critically on the past series and eventually we're going to throw all that out and just be at war but um you know if if i were in charge of star new star trek Ooh, i would congrats on the job matthew if i were i turn i, I would turn it down <laughs> um <laughs> you know i like to be with the people not not uh not one of the bosses but um i think it would be I think it would be fascinating to have a show of people who are in the Star Trek universe, but they're not in Starfleet, like you said. Like, the whole show is people who are just living out here and following the pursuits. They could still be scientists. They could be botanists. They could be um, chefs. They could be whatever. But what is what is this world, what does this post-scarcity world look like for like just regular people right what are the things that they're able to do you know i mean ironically i think people and probably you and i would say well that's not star trek at least not in terms like the kind of star trek shows and movies that we're used to watching because like star trek has a very specific focus right which is trekking through the stars right and that is i don't think i don't think no if that's true this show doesn't trek through the stars there we in this episode, Kara and Odo are on our on our runabout. A day like a day away from the base. Two days. Well, I mean, at least two days away from the base. They're still in Bajoran space. Um, this sh- this show, and this is why you know we've talked about why you have to give it defiant because it started to feel too claustrophobic. Which, speaking of which, um, being swallowed by a crystalline entity and not being able to move or like scratch an itch. That is like a ni- well, nightmare scenario. Nana visitor is claustrophobic, and like they keep on putting her in scenarios where she's just completely in- encased, and she's like, "Not helping, guys. This is not fun." <laughs> like I said, I, you know, start. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, like, you know, they get the they get the defiant. Now they can go out a little bit, but um, Voyager didn't feel like they were exploring. Because that was very much just like we're trying to get home. Yeah, um, but also I think like, that, but also yeah, Janeway is like our dad, and it's like let's just stop every five miles, you know. <laughs> so they were exploring, they, they, but like just like oh, we stumbled upon something, you know. Yeah, they were they were stopping at like a an AM PM like every every ten to minutes. Fill up a giant jug with diet coke, <laughs> diet iced tea with samples in here. Um, like i would i absolutely would love a civilian star trek show we're never going to get it but i would absolutely love to see that because i mean there's also like practical things of 
you know, there was the episode Lower Decks on TNG where it focuses on just like a bunch of ensigns, right? Lower Deckers. Right. But it also has like the one waiter dude that works at 10 Forward and he like pops in and out of the story and it's like interacting with the characters. And I'm very curious about like why he decided to become a waiter at a bar on a spaceship. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something right now. I have said several times of late that I would love to just like quit my job and just be like a bartender somewhere like not like and not one of the like bartender yes but not a busboy whatever just like i would just like like hang out in a low stakes place where you could work a service job and it's something where you don't have to be like i'm gonna work a service job and live with 18 roommates and still barely like make ends meet but like what does it look like when you're in a world where your housing is covered, your food is covered, your clothing is covered, transportation is covered? Like you're you're not, you're not having to like come out of pocket and all these things. So you're working a job, you know, like the the classic, um, you know, I'm a waiter, but I'm also like working on a screenplay thing, <laughs> or like you know whatever. Like, but it's just like yeah, I'm I'm doing this job. Like I enjoy it. I enjoy like like uh. I would love to be um, like just a driver. Like I love to drive. Um, I really enjoy driving. Are we talking um, about a driver as in the driver, the Jason Statham movie? Are we talking about um, the dad and parasite kind of driver? Like what first off the, the, um, the old first off the, the driver. When I think of that, I think of those Clive Owen BMW commercials. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that from yeah. yeah? That was like that was coming out of college. Good God, but um, yeah, like I like I would be um just like like honestly, if all these t- just like a taxi driver, like like I really enjoyed when I was Ubering. Like I liked the I liked some of the aspects of just like I'm driving around. I don't know where I'm gonna go. I'm just kind of like picking people up, drop, dropping people off. You know, sometimes we're talking, sometimes we're not. Now. I um you know, you know, I don't need to have just like internet taxi service that breaks up unions and everything else. Sure. But like that, but just like fun. yeah. If yeah. I was just like drive if I was just driving people because you know we, we we're on transitioning to a society where we weren't so car dependent, we had better transportation options and whatever, great. You know, like some kind of bus driver or something. I don't know. Okay. Well I I, I don't blame you. Um, you know, Alex Kurtzman, if you're listening, uh, the people would like to get a civilian Star Trek show. Uh, not Section 31. That is the complete opposite of a civilian Star Trek show. Um, but, you know, yay for Michelle Yeoh getting more work. Uh, and in, especially in the Star Trek universe. Um, but yeah, you know, we would like to see it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we would like to see it. Um should we get to uh, our characters for the day? The uh, which had a good episode, which had a which would like a reading. Yeah. Okay. Um, we both had the same character for which character had a good episode. It was Nog. You know. Yeah, Nog. Nog. Nog bought himself a little uh, application. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So shout good out. Work. To um, I had Quark as needing a redo. Um. He got undermined by his brother and his his nephew, like all at once. Like that's kind of rough for Quark. Uh, I'm not necessarily taking Quark's side, 
but I do have a feeling that Quark is like, the fuck just happened? <laughs> like he had Rom like speaking up and like Rom doesn't speak up uh, and certainly not in opposition to Quark. So Quark is like, have is is having a, a bad day. Yeah, you know, Quark, uh, Quark's in the long game. Quark will be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. It was, uh, a, it was a tough day for Quark. Who, for me, uh, it was Odo. Um, Odo had his hands all on a changeling for like 24 hours and couldn't figure that shit out. Yeah, so that was rough. Yeah, old, uh, old Inspector Clouseau over there. Yeah, kind of rough. Uh, That's why, again, I'm saying that, that changeling was making fun of him. It's like, wow, you are an impressive inspector. Like, yeah, that was, that was kind of rough. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a couple of straight thoughts. I feel like Jake was being a shit friend. Uh, Why? Because he's like, uh, so I heard you do this really funny thing. Uh, and I told my dad that you were kidding. Isn't that? So- of course. Yeah, I would. I would have too. I don't feel like that's being a bad friend. There's nothing. There's zero. There's zero indication from the second we met Nog on the series up until just right now, there was nothing that makes sense that Nog would be like, yeah, let me join Starfleet. And that's it doesn't, it wouldn't I make feel, sense. I feel like Jake so, wasn't having those honest conversations with Nog the way that he should. No, no. Jake didn't know that the writers were just going to pull something out of the ass and make something up one day. That is, that is very true. There was, uh, there's, there's, they, they, they are going around doing petty crimes and staring down cleavage all day. And you're saying that Jake's a bad friend because he didn't take this dude seriously. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> I stand by it. Um, shout out to Ensign Vilix Prawn, uh, who's mentioned for the first time in this episode. He does get mentioned in a couple more episodes, but we never see him on screen. Uh, Wait, is his name Prawn? Prawn. P-R-A-N. Are you sure there's not a W in there? Because they were talking about setting up like a, like a little, like, uh, water tank yeah, no it's p-r-a-n that's how it's all called right, well that's look at them being all but, uh i wanted to shout Definitely him out shrimp because we don't get a lot of pregnant men in star trek uh i think this might be like the only situation that we have um <clears throat> i had in my notes that the likely scenario is just that the instant species involves the man being pregnant over other genders being pregnant um sure. but i'm still gonna go with the head cannon that ensign prawn is trans uh so shout out to ensign prawn and shout out to the trans representation that we had in this 90s tv show that's um, that's great that's, i stand by that even though there is a, zero evidence a trans a trans shrimp <laughs> it's p-r-a-n there's no w but they kept talking about how it's going to be like you know a bunch of tadpoles popping out or whatever yeah like, something like that yeah. Yeah. Let's say this some some aquatic in some way. Also, shout out to Cisco being like, uh, yo, can you put my name on that? <laughs> that was like, come on, buddy. You could have you could have done better. Um <laughs> He was so excited for him. He's like, Oh, that's great. Love yeah. it some prom. That's that's fantastic. So what uh y'all go y'all grabbing a gift well, or what? <laughs> I mean, so like that that whole scene was fun for a number of reasons. Um one, I love Anytime Cisco gets to talk about children, like he just lights up. Like he is glowing anytime, like there's a kid nearby. Like he's just like, oh my God, I'm just like, he's just such a father person. And he's just like such a kid person. And I always love seeing him just beaming with excitement. 
Um, so that's always fun. The writers were very much on like, you know, we thought it'd be a cool idea to have two men talking about a baby shower that two other men are throwing for this man that is pregnant, you know? Just the kind of levels of conversations that don't typically happen in the 90s. They're like, look at how Star Trek, how progressive Star Trek is in the future. Yay. Um, yeah. It is, you know, still fun that that happened. Like that is yeah. not a regular conversation that happens. Um, and again, except for the, except for the, and some problem. the, the putting my name on something. That, that is a regular conversation. That I've had that conversation. I've had that conversation several times. Yeah. Yo, uh, so yeah, can I put something on it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, trivia. Uh, the scene where Nog talks to Cisco about his father is actor Aaron Eisenberg's all-time favorite piece of his own acting, and of course, this is his favorite DS9 episode. That makes sense. Oh, that's, that's uh, well, I liked it. I thought he was doing a good job. Yeah. Um, one last memorable line that I had uh, before we talk about next week's episode. Uh, the female changeling says to. Uh, to Odo, no changeling has ever harmed another. And Odo says there's always a first time. Folks that have not watched DS9, this is foreshadowing. This is very clear and very apparent foreshadowing. Um, I hope that this was intentional by the writers, rather than they just be like, oh, remember this thing that we said? Let's pick that up. Um, but this is just a very clear foreshadowing so that's nice yeah so that's fun uh next week's episode is destiny a very big name uh but this is an episode where a bunch of cardassian scientists come to visit the station to help set up a subspace communications relay um and there's a whole like warning from the prophets uh it's a whole thing something about celestial's temple something about you know cisco's duties as both a commander and also as an emissary uh we get a lot of you know got a lot of religion stuff coming up next week nice yeah so that's exciting um any any other thoughts no there's like the most uh beautiful doves it's like right outside my door but they're not maybe not doves they got some kind of uh um, it's yeah, really pretty. Oh. Yeah, I mean it's not just a pigeon. No, they're like they're, yeah, extra pretty wings. There's a hawk that flies around here. I'm worried for them. Yeah, you probably better go shoo that bird away so it stays alive. Yeah, was, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Should probably there was some video that I saw on Instagram where it was just like, um, this hawk was chasing after a squirrel on a power line, and it was like in the in the ghetto. And you just like hear a it bunch of like old ass black men like very excited about this situation or like shouting <laughs> and like shouting at the hawk and shouting at each other. It was just like it was just such joy. I lo- it was that would be that would be me. That would be that would be me. I'm getting I'm getting uh getting into my unk territory, you know, I'm close. Oh, good for you. Well, you know, I'm I'm the late thirties out of the mid thirties, the late thirties of us. You know. <laughs> Well, uh, you go enjoy your slides uh, and your your barbecue setup. Uh, but for us, it's time for us to release docking clamps and t- uh, pilot our tough little ship 
away from Tarek Noir. If you want to reach out to us with comments or questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Our profile is at Tarek Noir or send us an email at TarekNoirPod at gmail.com. If you get the chance, feel free to give our show a five-star rating and a glowing review. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thank you all for listening. We hope you join us next week. But until then, walk with the profits, Josh.